Thank you so much for being here. Hope you had a great day. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Have a list of sick folks that we're going to be praying for here in a moment. Irene Baker, who's Melinda Hester's mother, has terminal cancer. And so does Laura's dad, John Dryden. We want to pray for both of them. Martha Eaton, um, remember her in recovery for her foot injury. Austin Wentz, who's grandson of John and Wilda, he's undergoing treatments for cancer and I think doing, doing great. Uh, Joan is here, been here for a while, but she's still recovering from her shoulder injury. Brian Rowland is recovering from uh, just several setbacks with his foot. I think, at least for now, he's doing well and we pray that he'll have a full recovery. Sue Mason's brother, Ricky, we've been praying for for a while. Um, he's, doing, he's doing great. Jacqueline Jumper, there she is. You want me to take you off this list now? Okay. <laughs> but we're glad that y'all are doing so well and are able to be back. Eddie Smith is Keith's, uh, Freeze's father-in-law. He broke his hip some time back, recovering from surgery on that. I remember Quitman Wigginton as he's going through some therapy. Philip Coates, recovering from his recent knee surgery. Terry Green, who's Ricky's brother, he's going to be going to UAB for about eight weeks of chemo treatments. And then, depending on the results there, hoping that the tumors will shrink, then they're going to follow up with surgery. Remember Sandy Bonham, who is home. Verlin Davis. Uh, she has Alzheimer's, so just remember her caregivers. Geraldine Taylor, who's Chopper's mother, uh, remember her as she's also going through some rehab. David Yates is experiencing some liver problems, uh, probably going to be on transplant list. We pray the very best for him. Cassie Foster's uncle's been really sick, and uh, please... Oh, he did. Okay. So Cassie's uncle. Andy Harden passed away. So our sympathies to that family. And then Hannah Peck is in the hospital at UAB in Birmingham. Um, she's stable. Uh, but she's undergoing some, I guess, some treatments or diagnostics, whatever, hoping to get to the bottom of what's causing some 
seizures that she has experienced. And also remember uh, Daniel, her husband, rest their family as they're trying to, trying to get some normalcy in their life. You have anybody else? What's the last name? P-O-F-F? Okay, and Stevens, we're going to be praying for. Yes, Jeremy? What's the last name? Try that again. F-O-R-D? Swinford? Okay. Okay. We're going... Anybody else? Okay, Jeff Goff uh, broke his back. Uh, was it an injury at the camp? Or okay, okay. Okay, one of those mysteries. Okay, let's let's sing a song and then. We'll have our prayer. Number 894. 894. Beulah Land.
Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessings of this day. Very pretty day. We thank you, Father, for our health and strength and for the freedom and ability we have to be able to come and to participate in fellowship with one another and in a study of your word. And we pray, Father, that our time will be well spent together. We pray for these sick that we've been discussing, Irene Baker and John Dryden, as they're battling cancer. We pray for Martha Eaton and her recovery, for Austin Wentz, that he'll have great days. We pray for Joan Mormon, that she'll have a full recovery and that her recovery will be steady. We pray for Brian Rowland, that his foot will get better and he can, he can walk better. We pray for Sue Mason's brother, and we're thankful that he's uh, doing so much better. We pray for Jacqueline Jumper and her baby. We just pray that you'll continue to bless them, and, and it's so great to have them with us again. Ask your blessings on Eddie Smith as he recovers from his surgery, that it'll be a full recovery and he'll have no issues with his hip. We ask your blessings on Quitman Wigginton as he's going through therapy. Bless Philip Coates that his leg will get strong and better. We pray for Terry Green as he's undergoing additional treatments. Bless Sandy Bonham that she can be comforted at home. We pray for Verlin Davis and for her caregivers and that she'll have good days and uh, some clarity. We pray for Geraldine Taylor, that she'll have a full recovery. Bless David Yates, that his strength will return to him. And Lord, if, if it's necessary for him to have a transplant, we pray that that will be available to him. Ask your blessings, Lord, on uh, Cassie Foster and her family as her uncle has passed away. And we just pray, Lord, that You'll give them comfort. We pray for Hannah Peck as she's gone to the hospital. And we do pray that they'll be able to run whatever kind of tests are necessary to determine exactly what her issue is and help her to get better. Please bless Flora Warner as she's having these blood pressure issues. We pray that's resolved uh, with very little uh, interference from drugs or other actions. We pray for Donnie Warner as... He's had hip replacement surgery, and we pray, Lord, that uh, these treatments he's receiving is going to help him to get better and back on his feet. We ask your blessings on Pat Poff, who's had these heart issues of late. Please be with Ann Stevens as she's having some heart issues. We pray those can be resolved. Bless Cody uh, Swinford, uh, their daughter, Hazel Grace, who's had some issues with her heart, and we just pray that that's getting resolved and that it will be so, that, that in five days or even shorter that that family can be united at home. And we pray for Jeff Goff, who broke his back. We pray that his treatment will result in complete healing and he can get back to the things he enjoys we pray, Lord, for the uh, issues over in the Ukraine, with all the fighting, and um, we just pray that that can be resolved speedily and that peace can prevail. And especially we think of our brothers and sisters who are there. We pray, Lord, that they'll be protected and that in that maybe opportunities to teach and to reach the lost will be available. Just thank you, Lord, for the good that you will make come out of the tragedy. Be with us now, Lord, as we study together, and I pray that our study will be effective in helping us to develop a stronger belief in Jesus as the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at the sixth of the signs that we have in the book of John. The first of them was found in chapter 2, the first 11 verses. Remember what sign that was? Turning the water into wine. 
Okay, what happened in chapter 4, verses 43 to 54? Healing of the nobleman's son. What happened in chapter 5, the first 18 verses? Close. Uh, we healed somebody else. The man with the infirmity of 38 years. Okay, and then in chapter 6, the first 15 verses, what did we have? Yay! Got it. Nailed that. Okay. Uh, and then that one, remember, is in all of the Gospels. It's, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 14. It's in Mark chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 9. So that's a significant one. And then right on the heels of that in chapter 6, verses 16 to 21, we had another, I, I think is maybe the most astounding of the signs. And it was him doing what? Walking on the water. Okay. Now, tonight we're going to be in chapter 9. We're going to look at a big chunk of Scripture, okay? Verses 1 through 41. This is going to be the account that we have of, guess what? Another healing. (laughs) This one is the famous healing of the man who was born blind. This is going to demonstrate Jesus' power over... And for a lack of a better word, I'm going to use the word misfortune. The reason I don't like to use misfortune is because it has fortune in it. And some people think that life is governed by fortune or chance or luck. That's not what I'm trying to say. You know that, right? But some things are unfortunate in the sense that something happened to me that was totally out of my control. And here I am. And I guess... Unless something radical happens, like what's going to happen in this text, I guess I'm just going to have to resolve that this is the way things are. So sometimes, I guess, to a lesser degree maybe, we can understand what it's like to have things happen to us that we didn't expect or things that we would say are not fair and why me? Okay? That's kind of this story. Okay. Now, as Jesus passed by, stop right there. I know we've got 41 verses, but I don't want to let this pass by. Uh Uh-huh. See what I did there? I don't want to let this pass by without kind of connecting it to the text that we're in. Back in chapter 8, which we're not actually reviewing yet, but in chapter 8, there are some astounding things that happen. For instance, in verse 12 of chapter 8, Jesus makes the declaration that he is the light of the world. Pretty big deal? Absolutely, it is. And then later, in verse 32 of chapter 8, one of those statements that just gets at the root of the word of God and what that word can do for us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you Free. Now think about what's happened already. Who is Jesus? Is, is he the one that's going to light this world up for us? Absolutely he is. The truth, and by the way, what is it that he's preaching? Why did he even say it? I mean, that's what he's preaching, right? The truth. And it's that truth that's going to set us free. It's going to make us a free people. Now the other astounding statement that comes at the end of this chapter is found in verse 58. And Jesus makes this declaration. And the people who were there, who were present, especially the religious elites, they didn't like it very much. Because Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Well, they decided, the crowd there, probably incited by some of those self-righteous that were in the crowd, they picked up stones and they are going to, guess what? Stone him. They're going to stone him. So Jesus makes his way, and and we take it probably in a miraculous fashion. He is able to leave that setting without anybody seeing it happen. And it's the connection between what's in our verse and what is in the latter verse of chapter 8 is that he passed through. Okay? Passed through. That's our key word. Now, look at this. Now, as Jesus passed by, does that sound kind of reasonable that this is connected? 
So I've got the idea in my head that it's probably at the very least the same day. And if not the same day, it's certainly in the same area at least the next day. It's on the heels of what just happened. Now, again, keep in mind, did Jesus make some extraordinary, amazing statements there in chapter 8? Just nod your head this way. Absolutely he did. And he's got people's minds doing what already? Kind of spinning. Like, wow, this guy, what in the world? Okay, so as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Oftentimes when you read about the blind man or the lame man, what are they doing? They just kind of sitting around twiddling their thumbs or passing the time? That's not what I'm getting at. Off begging. And if they hear that Jesus is around, what? Help me. You know, help me. Save me. Heal me. Is that what happens here? No, in fact, Jesus, I, I take it, Jesus is still basically in incognito mode, right? Don't want to draw any attention to myself. However, Jesus has, and it starts with a C and ends with an N. He, you, you guys are getting really good at this. He has compassion. So when he sees this scenario, there are several things that go on in his mind. Number one... I can have compassion. And if we were reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that would probably be the emphasis, wouldn't it? Look at the compassion of the Son of God. However, John, John's purpose is not to show Jesus as compassionate. Although he will do that, and you'll see that here. John's purpose is to show Jesus as what? The Son of God. Right. So not only I'll have compassion, but wait a minute. Right here in the midst of all of this that's happening, and oh, by the way, I've just made the declaration that before Abraham was, I am, which is to effectively say, I'm God. I am, I am present in the past. I'm present in the present. I'm present for the future. All at the same time. I am that I am. And so now Jesus is in his moment with this guy who's really not even paying attention to what's going on. Jesus kind of incognito, keeping to himself. However, he sees an opportunity to do what? Not just show compassion, but to demonstrate that he is, he is the Son of God. Okay, so the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Okay, so the disciples assay the situation. Oh, we see this blind man too. Well, everybody knows that folks who are afflicted like this, either they brought it on themselves or their parents brought it on them. So what's the deal with this guy? Um, is that true? You say no, but I'm wondering why it is they said that. Well, it <laughs> turns out that, you know, those rabbis, those elite great teachers of Jesus' time, not only did they hold to the scriptures, but they also held to several documents that had addendums to it. Like, you have the scripture, and then you have additional information. Not inspired by God, but written by a famous past rabbis who had something to say about something that maybe God had said, and then they expound on it. And many had gotten the idea that a person who was afflicted in some way was afflicted because sin was present. Okay, the first thing that comes to mind is an entire book of the Old Testament that deals with that. Who would that be? It starts with a J. Job. Job is all about that. Job's wonderful, encouraging friends, they come to him, they sit with him, they're quiet for a while, but finally when the silence breaks, they are pointing the finger. It is obvious that you are in this situation because you are a terrible sinner, you, and what you need to do is admit what you've done. Kind of gets to the idea that the wife not only 
thinking this would be a quick way out to curse God and die, but kind of along the same thinking, right? Obviously you're guilty, so why not just curse God and die and get over with this? God's after you. You're a terrible sinner. Where did anybody ever get that idea? Well, it turns out that for many, the idea of having sin came from a statement that's found in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. And while you're flipping to that, I'll tell you another thing that many of the Jews believed. In fact, not only did the Jews believe this, but Islam kind of hooked up with this, at least with the idea of the seventh heaven. So many of the Jews believed it was a popular tradition, not biblical, because you'll not find this described anywhere in the scriptures, but many of them had the idea that, well, what, what happens when a child is born is that their soul sits in the seventh heaven, and then when God determines that it's time for that soul to enter into the world, someone will have the necessary procreative activities, and there will be a human form fertilized in the female. And then what will happen is God will send that soul that's in the seventh heaven into that human body, and then they will be born. The problem is that sometimes people are born with a good spirit. And so guess how that person will turn out? Well, they've got a good spirit, so they'll turn out good. And those scoundrels that we have in the world, those people that we have to lock up, or those kids that never listen, those people actually ended up with what kind of spirit? An evil or a bad spirit. Where'd they get that idea? Well, same place from traditions that were handed out. Now, I know that you're looking at Genesis chapter 4 and 7 and you are scratching your head going, wait a second, that doesn't say anything about any baby being born. In fact, that is God's encouragement to Cain that he not leave with sin doing what? Sin is crouching at his door. Okay, you're not going to believe this. But on the basis of that statement about sin crouching at the door, as though it is, get the imagery, as though it is sitting on the level, on the edge of the seventh heaven, right? Now you see where they're coming from. And it fell down to earth and now it's inhabited Cain and he's going to kill somebody. That's where they got that. Does that seem like a reasonable way to deal with Scripture? Shake your head this way. No. And I think that's interesting because what did Jesus say about truth just in the very last chapter? Chapter 8, verse 32. You will know the truth and that truth is what's going to set you free. Unfortunately, many people were living in the bondage of misconceptions related to the problems that they had. Obviously, if you've got health issues, you have what? Either you have a bad spirit or you have sin in you. (laughs) And then the other... The other statement that comes out of the Old Testament scriptures that kind of fortified this doctrine was the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 9. Now, you're going to recognize that passage as one that's oftentimes spoken because God warns his people, don't you transgress, don't you turn your back on me, don't you be unfaithful, because if you do, then not only am I going to hold you responsible, but I'm going to... I'm going to take that responsibility, I'm going to take the the punishment for your sin to the third and the fourth generation. So from that, people also said, well, okay, so let's take this guy who's been born blind. Obviously, he didn't commit the sin himself, but who did? Probably his parents. So what what did the disciples say? You see, disciples fall into this commonly held doctrine that was developed basically on on the backs of two passages of Scripture that, that by no means directly related even to this issue, but through the fun manipulation of the texts. They came up with something to try, honestly, to try and explain why things are the way they are. Why did this happen? Well, it must be sin, so let's move on. Without really dealing with maybe deeper issues. 
So the disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? It was obvious somebody did. This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Okay, stop right there for a minute. Who's responsible? Nobody. You know what? Sometimes, sometimes people are born blind. Sometimes people are born without legs functioning or some kind of mental deficit. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes things happen. Jesus said, it it wasn't either of those things that you guys are saying, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. What's going on here? Well, you know, we were walking through here and I spied this blind man. I was thinking I can use this situation as an opportunity to glorify God. But in the process of glorifying God, what's that going to do for me? That's going to demonstrate that I'm the son of God. It is not saying... Now, now notice uh, what's happened. Why is this... Wh- uh, what's going on here? Jesus says, well, this situation is going to be used so that the works of God can be revealed in him. I, I feel bad that he's blind, but I feel good that I can use this situation in order to demonstrate something. That text is not saying, oh, well... You know, God chose to blind him for what we will later see is probably in excess of 30 years so that Jesus could, first of all, be threatened to death in the temple and then come along here and find him late. That's not what this text is saying. This text is telling us that Jesus, as he does on several occasions, sees something that would draw out compassion and he uses that to bring glory to himself and to the Father. If Jesus' real goal was compassion and to heal people, how many people would Jesus have healed? Everybody. (laughs) He would have healed everybody. Because why in the world would he leave one out, right? To To me, that is a deeper theological thing to wrestle with than simply that Jesus uses an occasion. So Jesus uses this. He's going to work the works of him who sent me. He says, while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. What is that talking about? Well, Jesus is here right now, right? Jesus, as he's here, quote unquote, in this analogy, during the day, can do what? He can heal, he can teach, he he can do whatever it is that he's doing. When he goes away, what's he going to be able to do? Now's the time. Now's the moment. There is the time to work and get after it, and there's the time when it is the cessation of those things. And Jesus says, you know what? Here's an opportunity for me to act. I don't care that they just picked up stones to stone me. I'm going to take advantage of an opportunity. So... Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, and and flip this back, right, to John chapter 8, verse 12. Who is he? I am the light of the world. If it it weren't a great enough statement in the earlier part of chapter 8, then tie that to what he said in verse 58 of chapter 8 as being, I am. And now he says, you know what, I'm absolutely going to stay here and take care of this because I am, get it now? I am the light of the world, and I'm about to prove it. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. What in the world? Did Jesus have to do that? No, we've already seen him do what? Healed that, uh, the nobleman's son from 20 miles away. Jesus does not have to do this. Jesus uses spit, makes clay and sends this man, according to the next verse, to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I want you to get that last part because that's going to tell you why Jesus did what he did. Jesus did not spit on the ground, make the clay, and send him to the pool because that is the formula for healing. Because if that were true, what would we do? I'll tell you what, I'd be spitting on the ground a lot and wiping that in my eyes or whatever is ailing me, and I'd go to the pool of Siloam. 
The Pool of Siloam was pretty significant because that dates way back to the time of Hezekiah when the threat of Sennacherib was there. Sennacherib is in very short order, according to 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, going to siege Jerusalem and put an end to Hezekiah in his reign. But that isn't how the thing turned out. But Hezekiah had such foresight that he said, you know what, we typically bring water into Jerusalem, but if we're going we're to face an onslaught like Sennacherib, we better find a way to get the water to come to us. So they built this aqueduct. Now, the aqueduct is about two feet across and six feet high and was 583 yards long, dug through solid rock. It was an engineering feat, but necessary in order to provide water to, turns out, this pool of Siloam, which was a major gathering area for water that they used for the whole city of Jerusalem. That particular pool was about 20 feet wide, 30 feet long, and 4 feet deep. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Now, by the way, can this blind man see Jesus? No. Does he even know who he is? As Jesus said, I am Jesus, the Son of God. I'm here to bring your sight. No, he did not do that. In fact, he hadn't said anything to him, right? He hadn't said hardly anything to this guy. He just goes about his business. So Jesus makes the clay. Um, some people thought that fasting spittle uh, had some kind of medicinal um, power to it. Some people thought it was magical. So Jesus uses, as we saw just a moment ago, kind of a, a myth, the second of those, kind of uses something people were familiar with, which would have gotten this guy to do what? Kind of go along with it. Okay, I don't know you, but I'll, I'll do that. Now, if you go to the pool of Siloam and you wash, what will happen to you? What did our text say? Not only will you'll come back seeing. What was the purpose of the clay made with spit and the pool of Siloam, which was so famous? What was the purpose of those things? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, faith. Th those things are, I I'm just going to call them a vehicle of faith, okay? Do we have a vehicle of faith right here in this room, right here? I was going to mention him. Uh, Naaman's, uh, we'll get that in a second, unless you uh, reject this one. Uh, the first one that I was thinking of was baptism. Is it the water that washes you clean? 1 Peter three twenty one. be careful. <laughs> it's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, right? It's you doing what? It's you doing what he did. I'm going to go... I'm going to get washed, and I'm going to come back, in his case, seeing. You're going to come back what? Free of your sin. Seeing. <laughs> okay? You're going to see the light, in other words. Okay? Naaman is the other example from 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman was told to go wash in the Jordan how many times? Seven times. He said, are you kidding me? That nasty old river there. We got two rivers in Damascus that are cleaner than that. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He was angry. And then his little helpers came to him and said, you know, if he'd have told you to do something great, you'd have done that. All he's told you to do is go to the Jordan, dip in it seven times. He went and dipped in that seven times, and what happened to him? This, I mean, let's just use this analogy, right? He went as he was commanded to do. He washed as he was commanded to do. And he came out doing what? Seeing the light. He came back seeing, did he not? It wasn't, it wasn't the vehicle itself that saved him, but the vehicle became the mode of transportation, if you will, through which his obedience was satisfied and he was healed. What happened to this blind man? You know what? I could heal you sitting right there. I could have healed you while I was way over there. I know about you, but I see the situation and I'm telling you, I'm going to take this, I'm going to put it on your eyes. You go to the water and you wash and you'll be healed. He went to the water and are you surprised at all? No. He went and he was 
healed. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? This guy is now standing, seeing everything, and it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like sometimes when I see you at Walmart. Now, it is either me looking at you or you looking at me, we go, don't I know you? (laughs) You're not in your suit and tie, or you're not dressed up in your Sunday clothes. What are you doing in jeans and a t-shirt? That, you look different, right? Kind of looks like, I'm not sure, but I think it is you. Had they ever seen this guy up and walking around and observing things? No, they had not. They probably never seen his eyes before. And so this has happened, and they're like, isn't this him? And some said, yeah, this is he. And others said, well, he's like him. And he said, no, it's me, it's me. I just love that. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. I obeyed what he told me to do. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Why does he not know? Let me try to remember where I think I saw him go. No, he's never seen him before, right? So I don't know. I don't know. He sent me. I went. I I don't know. And I I couldn't identify him if I had to. They brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. By the way, you, you notice that? What John does there, just he who formerly was blind. That's who he is now. He is not the blind man now. He's the man who was formerly blind, okay? It was the Sabbath, and I just remind you, uh, we've, st- we've looked at the Sabbath. Uh, if, if you need those texts again, one of them that I used before was Luke thirteen ten to 16, and that one draws out, you know, uh, the eating of the, the, the showbread and so forth with David. And then the other one is kind of the explanation of it all. And that's Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. And study that, study that text. Because the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And there are always going to be exceptions is the idea. And who else, who else to make the exception than the Son of God, right? Question to you. So it was the Sabbath, Jesus made the clay, opened his eyes, and by the way, why did he do that? To heal the man who's been blind from his birth. Give glory to God, right? Then the Pharisees also asked him, again, now he's getting interrogated, how he had received his sight. He said, well, he put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Well, clearly, this guy who healed you can't be from God because he healed you on the Sabbath day. And he's going to go on to say, what were you thinking allowing yourself to be healed on the Sabbath day? Don't we have six other days you could have been healed? What are they missing? A miracle's happened here. Does this happen every... Well, if you're with Jesus, maybe it happens every day. But generally speaking, this this is something rare. This doesn't happen all the time. So the Pharisees, they have a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Okay, in verse 11, he referred to him as the man Jesus. Now, in verse 17, he's become the the prophet. Well, I guess we're going to have to stop right here. So, I want you, uh, next time we'll finish this story, but I want you to be thinking, read through this story through verse 41 and capture in your mind the development of faith in this guy right here. He is going to go from Jesus being, being a man to a prophet to being from God to none other than, guess who? The Son of God, verses 35 and 38. Okay, we'll stop it right here and uh, get ready for our devotional period.
good evening. It's time for us to go and get started tonight. We are so thankful that you're here tonight. I know our numbers are down quite a bit at spring break, and I know several of our number are away, uh, taking advantage of school being out. We want to continue to pray for those that are traveling and for their safe return. We do have uh, some announcements tonight. Of course, remember, as you know already, there is no bulletin this week. Uh, also, the Freed Hardeman University Associates are going to meet tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock in the Annex. This is a very, very important meeting. Also, tomorrow, the food bank and the closed closet, it'll be open at 9 a.m. until 10.30. And please don't forget to uh, bring your items for uh, the food bank. Also, please remember to bring your donations for the Boonville Middle School uh, food pantry as well. Uh, those boxes are in the foyer. As far as updates on the sick, uh, we just found out that uh, the grandfather of Tory Pounds passed away in Aberdeen. His name is Donald Bunch. So please remember that family in your prayers. Also, we need to express our sympathy and remember Cassie Foster and her family in the death of her uncle, uh, Andy Harden. That funeral is going to be Friday in Peachtree City, Georgia. Of course, Hannah Peck uh, remains in serious condition in the hospital at UAB in Birmingham. We want to continue to, to pray for her. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight. We do want to continue to encourage and pray for all those that are sick. There's many that we are aware of, so let's look out and think about those that need our prayers and our encouragement, and let's try to do what we can. Of course, we want you to come back this coming Sunday morning at 9.30 for our worship service. Our wonderful Bible classes will take place at 5, and we'd love for you to be there this coming Lord's Day. The invitation song tonight will be 927, Why Keep Jesus Waiting. The song we will sing before the lesson will be 535, Glory Land Way. 535. I'll be singing the first and the last verse. his father the reason that he woke up early every morning and went to work. And the father replied, you know, son, that's an easy one. I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. And there's a lot of truth in that. I think all of us can identify with that particular father because we have to work to pay our bills, to pay our debts. You know, we live in the greatest country in all the world. However, our great nation struggles with debt. Did you realize the average home in our nation has approximately $17,000 in credit card debt? The college graduate walks through across the stage with an average of $32,000 in student loans. Today, the national average for a mortgage is $153,000. And of course, as a nation, we stand between 11.6 and 
some $12 trillion in debt. And so I think all of us understand the concept of being in debt, financial debt. But there's one aspect in which we are all debt-free. There's one aspect in which we can be completely debt-free. To me, one of the most comforting verses in all the Bible is Romans, the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 1, where the Bible says there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You think about what that verse is saying here for just a moment. The Bible says there is a place, there is a location where there is no condemnation. Where is that place, Paul? That place is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Paul tells us here that if we are a part of God's family, if we are in Christ as a result of our obedience to the gospel through the act of baptism for the remission of our sins, that we are under no condemnation. Isn't it wonderful to be able to get up every morning and regardless of what's going on in our world today, regardless of how how difficult things may be at work or our jobs or with our family sometimes, isn't it wonderful to know that there's a place where there's no condemnation. And I can be in that place through my obedience to Jesus Christ and by walking according to the Spirit. But you know, being in that particular situation, there's another obligation that we have as well. Paul went on to say in Romans chapter 1, 14 and 15, Paul said, I am obligated to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. See, we have the obligation. We owe it to people around us to tell them the good news of our salvation. Regardless of one's gender, regardless of one, one's economic status, regardless of one's station in this life, we need to resolve, as Paul resolved, to pay that debt to those around us. We need to share the good news with our friends at school, those that we work with. We ought to use every avenue and every opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight I want to ask you as we sing this song of invitation, are, are you in that place right now where there's no condemnation? Have you obeyed the gospel? If not, you may need to come tonight in simple trusting faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Repent of your sins. You can confess his name that he's the Son of God. And you tonight can be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, we ask that you come while we stand and sing. gracious and loving father we just pause at this busy time in our lives father to thank you for the beauty of this day for all the many blessings of life and all the spiritual blessings through your son lord jesus father we're so thankful for the opportunity to assemble together we're thankful father for your blessings 
that continue to be bestowed upon us with all the wonderful teachers, educators, and spiritual leaders of this church. Father, we mindful of all those mentioned here tonight needing prayers, those that are in treatments, those are, who are just hurting in so many ways. Father, maybe some we don't know about, but we just pray, pray that you will continue to bless them and their caregivers. Father, we pray for peace and protection for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We just pray, Father, that you will comfort the suffering, heal the wounded, and just we pray for peace. Father, be with us through the rest of this week. We just pray we'll be found doing your will. We pray, Father, that our souls will always be sensitive to the light, the light of the world, your Son, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, that we will one day be the heirs of all your promises. In Christ's name we pray, amen.